Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network in association with Muller She Wrote Media. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnson in D.C. Today, my returning guest is former federal prosecutor Michael J. Stern. He writes for USA Today, Chicago Tribune, Guardian, Hill, HuffPost, you name it, he's written there. I always love talking to him. But before we get into our conversation, the Start Me Up podcast is independent, supported by listeners, and it's woman-run. A great big thank you to everybody who supports the show. If you enjoy today's podcast, visit patreon.com slash start me up. Check out all the tiers. I do include a tier with a much shorter intro and no ads. You can hear the free shows on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and they're followed up by What's Up, a show just for patrons where I talk about anything that comes to mind. It's a little more personal, kind of like my online diary. Visit patreon.com slash start me up. And don't forget, you can find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Now, please enjoy my conversation with Michael J. Stern. Welcome back to the show, Michael. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate the invitation. Well, I specifically want to talk to you because you're a lawyer and uh, we've got all kinds of stuff to talk about, about the hearings and all of that. And I definitely want your opinions on this. But before we get started, I just want to make this big, huge, really important announcement that Drunk Rudy finally blocked me. <laughs> I've been I after him. Looked, <laughs> I haven't looked lately, so I'm not sure if I've gotten the, the big Rudy block or not. But, you know, you can really wear that as a badge. Oh, yes, and I do. And I've been trying to get him to block me. I've posted pictures of you know, that, that movie where he's laying down on the bed and p- mm. going down his pants and he never blocked me. And I thought, well, maybe he just muted me. And then today I wrote, uh, I wrote drunk Rudy, I, you know, I hashtag that. And I said something, I just made fun of him and, and he blocked me. And it's funny because I have another Twitter account that nobody knows about. And it's not, it's a little bit of a troll account, but it's just another account where if somebody blocks me, I can go see them. And, um, and I just thought, and that's like a nothing account. There's barely, you know, maybe there's 400 people following it and it's, I, it looks all legit and it's liberal and everything. So, but it's a small little account and I, I hashtag drunk Rudy and he blocked that account too. So he's just hmm. blocking everyone today. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's riled up apparently. Yeah. It's fish in a barrel. You know, I mean, that helping, today was easy. Helping the president uh, steal an election didn't seem to concern him much, but no. blocking people who mentioned the fact that he was drunk on, on election night, that's the important stuff. Yeah, I get it. And before we begin, yes. let me make a disclaimer. It is the middle of the afternoon, but I have a tendency to stay up until the middle of the night writing and and so I'm eating oatmeal. So if you hear <laughs> noise, my apologies. It should be done in three or four minutes, but I'm I'm too hungry Aww. to talk. <laughs> well, what's in your oatmeal? It's this high protein oatmeal with almonds in it, mm. and I put blackberries in it, mm-hmm. a little bit of brown sugar, um, raisins, and fat free half and half, which is. The most brilliant invention in the world. <laughs> Have you ever had fat-free half and half? Uh, I can't because I get acne if I eat any kind of milk products. Okay. For those who don't have that problem, <laughs> fat-free half and half is, is up there with sliced bread. Wow. I'm jealous. I wish I could. cookies. It is. You can, you can drink it by the cup. Wow. And it's half and half and it's fat-free and not feel guilty. It mm. is the one thing that I cannot live without wow. in the category of food. Wow, I'm really jealous. Well, you know, I mean, I don't know how it tastes in comparison, but I know there's some really good and kind of thick oat milk. Mo- uh, I can't speak. Oat milk. Have you ever had oat milk? 
I tried it once and it was okay. But you know, when you've got fat free half and half yeah, available to you, I know, and and you don't have any type of a milk allergy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it, it just you know it it, it changed my life when I discovered <laughs> it. I, I drink it every morning in my decaf coffee. It's yeah. equal parts of decaf coffee, mm-hmm. fat free half and half. <laughs> A piece of chocolate that oh melts God. into the coffee. Wow! A, a, a spoonful of cocoa and some artificial sweetener every day. I mean, that's mm. what I look forward to getting up to. And wow, I that sounds pretty yummy. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I have to do everything dairy free. I've been doing it since. You know, I started. I realized that I had an issue. I think I God. I think it's like twenty one or twenty two, and I had a cold. So, you know, they say don't drink milk when you have a cold. So I, I would mm-hmm. stop drinking milk and all of a sudden my face would clear up because I had basically mild to moderate acne, cystic acne specifically. And so and I, you know, I hadn't put it together because I think it was probably that summer. I went out with my girlfriend on July 4th and we had dinner and everything I ate had dairy in it. And the next day my face was just inflamed. It was filled with just tons of zits and it was literally always the next day. It's not like it took several days. And I went into my acting studio that night and my, I was usually good about hiding my acne with makeup. And so my acting coach really wasn't aware that I had a problem. And so he was sitting at the front of the class and I was you know, paying my, giving my check, paying my dues. And he saw my face and in front of everybody he goes what's wrong with your face (laughs) no and I mean I was fucking devastated I think I came home and I was crying and my mom called him because I called my mom and I'm like he's on my acne and she said something to him and he felt bad because he just didn't know but anyway so I had discovered when I had a cold that my acne went away for the most part so yes that was in the er, like I'm trying to like early 90s when there were no alternatives I don't know how I got through that because it was just nothing. There was there was no soy milk, there was no rice milk, and then finally they started coming up with all the, you know, alternative cheese mm-hmm. products and ice cream products and you know they it's so funny. Uh my little tangent here, but my girlfriend had five kids and I would hang out with them all the time. And so I brought over, you know, I can't remember what the uh, so delicious. That's what the brand is, so delicious ice cream. And it's fake ice cream obviously but it's really good and all the kids were making fun of me with my so delicious and they asked to try it and then they all wanted mine over real ice cream so Mm. i was just like see it's good but um i don't know how i got no no one is going to want to listen to us talking about fat free half and half acne oatmeal i I think they like a little break because you know i've just had to take a little break from um from the politics. I mean, we're still going to talk about it. And of course, we're going to talk about this in a second. But sometimes just the light, stupid shit, that's like fun. Mm. <laughs> At least it I is for it. me. <laughs> I get it. And, and I have to say, I'm enjoying people are because Herschel Walker, the Senate candidate <laughs> yes. in Georgia, has, has claimed fraudulently to be so many things. He's yeah. claimed to be an FBI agent. He's claimed to be a police officer, the valedictorian of his class. He claimed to be college graduate none of these things are true right so people are now posting memes <laughs> of herschel walker as like miss america, the space <laughs> of miss america. it's you know like herschel walker in space herschel walker you know doing That's all these awesome. ridiculous things because he's lying yeah he's so lying much about his life oh my that God. it's fantastic 
that's what's actually keeping me entertained. Wow. Uh, what has been for the last five or ten minutes. Well, so. that makes me sad about him, though, because honestly, they are using him. And, you know, he's he is just not the brightest bulb. He's just not. And that's kind of sad that that's all happening. But it's really terrifying because. Well, he ran away with a Republican primary. Yeah. So it is both sad and terrifying right. at the same time. People know all of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's come out. All of the lies, all of the you know, threats that he's made to women, all of the domestic abuse towards women, mm-hmm. um, and yet people vote for him. And, yeah. and this is something I just can't quite understand. Although I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. given what people yeah. knew about Donald Trump and decided to vote for him anyway. Yeah, because I remember calling my boyfriend when um, when the uh, pussy tape thing came out, grab him by the pussy, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, he's toast. <laughs> I was very wrong. So, yeah. yeah. We, I, I'm surprised, but we're living in a different kind of world now. So, all right. So yeah. let's 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 talk about these hearings. So, did you watch the Thursday night hearings? I watched part of the Thursday night hearings, and I watched part of yesterday. But mostly, what I've been trying to do is read a synopsis of what's hmm. going on because I end up just screaming at the television <laughs> and you know, getting up and going to the refrigerator and eating things that I shouldn't as compensation for my frustration. So I've gone through all of the cookies. I had the cookie jar. As I was watching the hearings, um, I ordered, uh, let's see, one, two, seven different type of candies from nuts.com. Seven. And they all came yesterday. Here's a tip. If you order chocolate-covered oranges in the middle of summer, it's not pretty what arrives in your mail. But but even the other chocolate seemed to manage to come through. And last night, uh, or yesterday, uh, I had part of the the hearings on on the news that Mm -hmm. was being recapped. And I I just sat there and ate one candy after another because the frustration level was so high at what was going on and how close we were Mm -hmm. to having American democracy Mm -hmm. snatched out from under us by a concerted effort of a presidential administration and members of Congress that candy was the only bomb that seemed to work. <laughs> Which explains why I'm having a healthy oatmeal breakfast now as a, an effort to compensate. Wow. Well, yeah, I mean, the first night, it was funny because I wasn't really sure what to expect. And I have to say, I was extremely impressed. I was impressed with both Cheney and um, uh, Thompson. I thought the two of them together looked great did they did a, a really good job and and i think they did a fantastic job of laying out the evidence and being convincing you know right off the bat they've got um what's his name uh bill Barr, and yeah you know and that was really interesting and then you know we we saw ivanka and we saw jared and they both looked very miserable um, although they made $650 million while her father was president. So I don't feel too sorry for them. But um, Yeah, I, Ivanka can afford to be disinherited for mm-hmm, some of the things exactly. that she said and <laughs> still lead a very comfortable life. Yeah, she doesn't need her father. Although I heard that evidently she backtracked what she said. Yeah, or or she said, that yeah, that it was taken out of context. Whatever, Ivanka. Um, but the thing that really got me was that footage of – one six and 
I mean, I, I haven't seen it all, but I've seen most of it. So I, you know, I don't know if some, there were some scenes that I hadn't seen. Uh, if it was very specific about that one, that one woman testifying who was the cop and, you know, they, the, I guess the Proud Boys or whoever pushed her and it looks like they knocked her out. She did a fantastic job. Everything that she did, everything that she said, her composure, it was, it was really, I thought she was a really great witness, but it was wa watching that was once again, extremely triggering and upsetting. And, well, you know, wait, it, it's not just watching it. It was watching her yes. watch what had happened yes. to her. And at least on the station that I was on, they replayed that over and over again, two or three times. And, you know, so you got to see her seeing herself be assaulted mm -hmm. and you could see in her face the memory mm -hmm. of what she was experiencing. Yeah. And I agree, it was it was harrowing. Yeah, I agree. It was upsetting and harrowing, and it it was also, I mean, the beginning of that video was also very, I don't even know what the word, it was, it was so upsetting because it was the Proud Boys, and I hadn't seen that footage before, and it was before the insurrection, and them walking and being organized, and it's terrifying because we have these groups of white supremacists in this country, and they'll do it all over again, so... Well, they, not only would they do it all over again, but this wasn't what some of us were led to believe for mm -hmm. a period of time, which is that it spontaneously happened right. um, without planning. I mean, the testimony was that the Proud Boys veered off and didn't even go to Trump's speech and instead mm -hmm. headed to the Capitol. So mm -hmm. that was clear that that was a plan and mm -hmm. that they knew what they were going to be doing in advance. Yeah. They were not there you know, for the, the purported purpose just to support President Trump and to listen to his speech and, and you know, to clap at the rally. They were there for another reason, mm -hmm. and that was to try and stop the electoral count from proceeding and to try and stop, uh, you know, Joe Biden from, from being declared the victor and yeah. taking the presidency. It's fucking chilling. Um, and then, yeah, yesterday the, sh the show, <laughs> the hearing was focused on basically Trump's intention uh, I thought again I thought they did a good job and the best part about I mean not the best part but the funniest part is when Liz Cheney said and apparently inebriated Rudy Giuliani and then yeah. yeah so everybody all day long even I heard somebody said to me they commented that MSNBC they were just saying drunk Rudy like it was nothing and he's so pissed <laughs> it's just because, I, good fuck him I don't care that he's pissed and it just makes me I mean I I want democracy and all that but in the meantime i'm gonna mock i'm gonna mock the the nazis you know so yeah you know but you get blocked and yeah you, know, you just have to live with the rudy giuliani block but again <laughs> badge of courage in my book <laughs> okay so here's what i want to ask you now we were supposed to have hearings tomorrow and they're postponed and i'm not sure why they're postponed but Benny Thompson said that he doesn't think there should be a referral to the DOJ. And I guess, you know, there's this big whole thing and people like Liz Cheney and other people are saying, no, there's got to be a referral. What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts are that members of Congress don't need to make the decision as to whether or not there's going to be a referral. I think that if they if they perceive that there is sufficient evidence that a crime was committed, they should make a referral. So I, I think you know I wrote a column for the New York Daily News about 
why it is that I think it's going to be virtually impossible to convict Donald Trump if he's ever charged mm -hmm. and how that would impact Merrick Garland's decision, the attorney general's decision as to whether or not it makes sense to charge Trump. Mm -hmm. But the, the reality of the situation is that that's a DOJ job, whether or not Trump gets charged. And if there is sufficient evidence uh, that the committee uh, believes uh, proves that Trump was involved in a crime, I think that they should make the referral. But remember, it isn't necessary for Congress to make a referral for DOJ to decide that they're going to investigate mm -hmm. and make their independent assessment of whether or not they're going to bring charges. In fact, Merrick Garland said that both he and his prosecutors are watching yeah. the January 6th committee hearings. So I, I don't know how much impact it will have mm -hmm. if a referral is made or if it's not made, because... DOJ can do what DOJ is designated to do, regardless of whether or not a referral is made. Do you think if they were to make a referral, would that have, obviously it's not necessary and not needed, but do you think that it would, you know, make a statement or, or lend into the, I, guess, I don't know what you would even call it. I mean, obviously, Democrats want to see justice. And I know in your piece that you wrote, you were basically pointing out that they don't know if they can get a, a, a jury that, ha, you know, maybe they're going to get a MAGA on their jury and they're worried about that. And so they're afraid to to, to push it for that reason. Am I correct? Is that your main thrust? Well, of that's part of it. I, you know, my, my piece said that it's going to be very difficult to convict Donald Trump because in a criminal case, you have to have... 12 people who unanimously, mm -hmm. meaning every person, votes to convict Trump and if he's charged. And if there is a single mm -hmm. Trump supporter who says no, mm -hmm. that's enough to hang the jury. And and jurors are allowed to do – they're not told that they can do it, but they're allowed to do what's called jury nullification and simply refuse to convict. I mean, that isn't something that they're entitled to do, but there's no real remedy for that. Hmm. So one Trump juror – can stop a conviction in an otherwise airtight case with a mountain of evidence. Hmm. And DOJ, I said, and I still believe, will consider whether or not that's going to have a, a negative impact to try and, you know, to charge a president is an enormous deal. It's never been done before. To do that and then to lose mm -hmm. could negatively impact how DOJ functions, you know, how the public perceives DOJ. Mm -hmm. What happens to other defendants who think, well, uh, Trump won and there was a ton of evidence against him. I'm going to take my shot, too, particularly because, you know, something like 98 percent of all cases in the federal system are resolved by plea agreement. If you get defendants who think that they're not going to be convicted, even though they may very well likely be convicted, it can really bring uh, the system to its knees and make it exceedingly difficult for the Department of Justice to function. So there's a lot that goes into that consideration. Do I think that a referral from the January 6th committee to DOJ saying, we think that there's a crime that's committed, you should look into it, will affect public perception, mm -hmm. particularly when there are two Republicans, mm -hmm. Adam Kinzinger and um, Liz Cheney on the committee. Yes, I think it would be I think it would be helpful mm -hmm. to, to to telegraph to the public this is a real serious problem and it's not you know it's not just democratic uh, right. political chatter it's real mm -hmm. 
Wow. Well, that will be interesting to see what happens. And, you know, I don't know. They said it was no big deal why they postponed. I don't know if it has. I mean, obviously, they wouldn't be putting a criminal referral through today. So I'm also interested because the last hearing is going to be held again in prime time. And I'm, I'm, I know that it was about 20 million people viewed the first one. Right. And I don't know what, you know, I would imagine they're going to save the best for last. And it's going to be, you know, Jamie Raskin said they're going to blow the roof off the place. And I think, I think they've done a pretty good job. I think they've done a good job. I, I, I think the nails are out and several of the tiles have already been dislodged mm-hmm. and are blowing down the street from mm-hmm. what I saw. I mean, you had, you had the former attorney general, the hand-picked attorney general, Bill Barr, say that he told Donald Trump personally that the claim that there was fraud involved in the election that, that got Joe Biden his win was bullshit. Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was a bullshit claim. I mean, that is damning mm. evidence on the issue of whether or not Trump knew and understood that. And, and his knowledge and understanding is pivotal in any type of a prosecution like this. So, uh, you know, if, if they're going to blow the roof off in a way that's bigger than the tornado that, you know, ripped through Washington on Thursday, uh, I'm actually going to be there for it. I may actually turn on the television, <laughs> bring my nuts.com chocolate and other got to get it in advance. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, sit it down in front of me and watch minute by minute. By the way, I, I get no referral free from nuts.com so people know. That's hilarious. Oh, my God. Okay, so I have more questions for you. But first, we have to do a real quick message, and we'll be back after the break. Oh, hey, it's Kimberly, the host of the podcast you're listening to right now. Are you my patron on Patreon? If not, it's really easy to sign up. Just go to patreon.com slash startmeup. Check out all the tiers. I do a patrons-only show after every free show, and I talk about whatever. It can get crazy in there. So again, just go to patreon.com slash startmeup. Check out the tiers and become my patron today. Thank you. Okay, we're back. All right, so um, I just have to talk a little bit first about the fact that I've seen... Okay, it was even Robert... I don't know, is it Reich or Reich? How do you say his name? Robert Reich? I think it's Reich. I think it's Reich. Reich. I, I read him and I enjoy reading him. Yes, and did you read the thing, what he said about Liz Cheney? Uh, I don't know. Tell me, and I'll tell you if I if I remember reading it. Okay. Well, he basically made the case for Liz Cheney to be, to be president. And oh, I did not read that. <laughs> that I would remember. I figured. This, yeah, go ahead. Well, go ahead. I you know I the I I get his reasoning, and I can understand. He thinks you know basically if she if she could run and she could pull certain independents, you know, and she could crush Trump, but she you know she she voted against the voting. Uh, the voting bills, she's not our friend. As far as democracy and saving democracy, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm not going to necessarily call her a hero. Some people are putting her to hero status. I, I will absolutely give her that she is burning down her own career, perhaps, or she might not be. It just depends on what happens. But with the Republican Party, she's certainly not doing herself any favors by doing this right now. No, um, no. I mean, she's not. she's not in the process of burning down her career, the cinders are there already. It's burned down. Right, right, right. right. Well, yes. And I mean, but she might be able to, you know, I mean, I think she's probably going to run for president. I don't know how popular she would be because the base is, is so hooked on the nut cases and she is, you know, she's obviously a Republican who she's intelligent. She knows, she understands what's going on. 
She's not pushing the BS propaganda that we're hearing from Boebert and, you know, and Gates and all those people. She's not that kind of a republic. She's old school. She's her father's daughter. And that's why I don't think she should be president. I, I believe she gets. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm not a fan of her father. So yeah. the fact that she's a chip off the old block is is not something that is impressive to me. It's sad to me that we have gotten to the point where where Democrats and, and yes. liberal-leaning people are so desperate mm-hmm. for a politician on the other side, on the Republican side, that isn't insane, mm-hmm. I mean, that isn't you know a spinning top of nuttiness, that someone <laughs> whose policies we disagree with, and, and I think most Democrats, myself included, mm-hmm disagree with with virtually all of the positions that that Liz Cheney has taken but we're so impressed mm-hmm. that she has a core of decency that isn't prompting her to try and burn down american democracy mm-hmm. and she's standing up for you know for the for the uh, substance of american democracy that people are now saying that Democrats should support her as president, <laughs> and that I don't agree with. No. And, I mean, the, the thing is, is if she were to become president and lose, she wouldn't do what Trump did. She wouldn't do what DeSantis did. I'd rather, you know, I mean, it would scare me if she ran for president because the I really don't want the Republicans to be the ones to be the first to get a woman president. I would prefer that to be the Democratic Party. Um, I don't know how that's going to go. And being a woman... I don't know that she could win, especially right now. I, I don't know that. Well, but, but, but Kimberly, more importantly, she would, you know, the assumption is that she would, because she's a Republican, she'd have Republican support. Mm-hmm. But that's simply not true. No, it she's isn't. She's burned her bridges. She I has. Mean, you know, she was removed from, you know, many of her high ranking positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, by Republican leadership. So the idea that she would get all the Republicans and get some of the Democrats because mm-hmm. she's not crazy just isn't true. She wouldn't be supported by her own party. And I would hope the Democrats would actually look at the substance of her voting record and say, right. yeah, she, you know, she didn't try and burn down democracy. And we give her credit for that. But that's not the same thing as supporting her, you know, because her positions are consistent yeah. with Democrats. They're not. No, they're not. I mean, I've also, you know, at least with Robert Reich, he was making the case for the independent crowd. And there are more independents than there are, you know, liberals, or I should say Democrats or Republicans. But yeah, I agree with you. I agree. And, and I feel like just exactly the same. You know, it goes to Steve. Look at Steve Schmidt. Now, everybody, lo- and I was one of them. I was one of these people who was like, oh, listen to his big words. And I love Steve Schmidt's words because he said what we wanted to hear. And I found out when I invited him to be on my show that because I said something to him online prior, like he had already agreed to be on my show. And then there was little time. And during that time, I kind of called him out for saying something about Elizabeth Warren. I wasn't rude. I just, you know, told him I disagreed with him. And then when he did come on my show, he was, he said he he was very different than what we, you know, we're used to seeing on MSNBC that he likes to Mm. go dish on Donald Trump and everything. Now this time he blamed everything on the Democrats. So it, he was a little pissed at me because I stood up to him. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, you know, but what Americans need to understand and come to some measure of comfort and acceptance with is that people are sometimes caricatures like Mm -hmm. Donald Trump and sometimes they're more complicated and they can do and say things that we can admire 
yes. you know, on one hand mm -hmm. and, and be very bad and do and say things that are really horrible that we, you know, that we condemn on the other hand. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, that sort of state of limbo, I think is very difficult for uh, people, Americans in particular to, to accept. And I can understand that because I have felt that for many years. It's mm -hmm. only been in the last handful of years that I've I've come to really understand that people have complexities and and shades of gray mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that can allow you to admire them in some ways and really condemn them in other very substantive ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I had a personal experience, you know, with a family friend in that regard, um, and it was a reckoning that I had to make. Uh, <laughs> And it's tough, but it needs to be done. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it kind of reminds me when um, Jeffrey Dahmer was interviewed when he was in prison. I guess, you know, I don't remember the question, but ultimately his answer to the reporter, the journalist, was like, if, if, if I'm free, I'm going to do this again. And I, I, I don't want to do this again. I know it's wrong. And meaning eating people <laughs> and killing right. people. Murdering um, them and eating Yeah. And so, I mean, it's like, all right, well, I can look at this guy and I can, and I actually felt sorry for him because he recognized what he did. He, he had some urge, some horrible, you know, murdering urge in him. And he, he understood that it was bad. And he understood that if he were not detained, he would continue doing it. And he basically said, yeah, I need to stay locked up because I will do this again. And it was like, okay, well, that doesn't mean we should make him president. <laughs> because yeah, it's going to be difficult to, to get me to defend Jeffrey Dahmer, yeah. the man who murdered and ate people in any regard. But, but I understand, you know, the, the point that you're making. And, you know, I, I, I think that there are much less um, you know, problematic examples. Right. You of know, course. <laughs> it's Adam Kinzinger, you know, I, I disagree vehemently with mm -hmm. so many of the positions that he's taken. Yeah. But I have to give the guy credit in the same way that I give a lot of credit to Liz Cheney to standing up mm -hmm. for the basic principles of American democracy. And that means telling the truth and and realizing, you know, that the American system is de of democracy is something that needs to be protected. And mm -hmm. that when we see someone attack it, like Trump, his administration, and many members of Republican Congress, that we need to speak out against that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people are complex in that way. Mm -hmm. And we need to learn to accept that and, and then make decisions based on the knowledge of, of the complexities that they have. Absolutely, 100%. And I wish more liberals would, I mean, because it's like we are, we're so hungry just to see anybody from the right saying that, yeah, these people on the right <laughs> that I'm aligned with are wrong. And Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like a magnet now when you see, because the right has become so rabid and so wrong, so wrong-minded and yeah. so, um, you know, out of control, that it's like a magnet. I mean, there's something very attractive when you see someone on the right, when you see a Republican, particularly a congressional Republican, just exhibit a measure of, of decency mm -hmm. and respect for American democracy. It does pull you in, but we need to snap out of it. <laughs> um, you know, chair needs to slap us in the face <laughs> and tell us to snap out of it. It's one thing to acknowledge and, you know, and, and, uh, um, you know, and praise that. Mm -hmm. It's quite another to jump on board ship with a captain who would be leading us down a path that we don't want to go. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, like I, I look at somebody like Liz Cheney, I look at somebody like Mitt Romney, and as much you know, they they terrify me as far as presidents are concerned. But the one thing that I could count, like we could count on, is yeah, they would do a lot of damage while they were in office. But if they get when they would get voted out when they'd finally leave, there would be a smooth transition of power. And a lot of the Republican Party right now, we can't assume that. Most people in the Republican Party are going to go along with the fascist autocratic. There's like they've established this new, I don't know, new version of Republicans who just want to steal control or take control and keep it forever. And that's the big that's the big fear. So, yeah. So I, I completely agree with you. But how sad is it that the threshold that is I know, now being yeah. lauded as you know, as a superstar is mm-hmm. they won't burn the country down right. when they lose the election. I mean, you know, that should not be our bottom line threshold for, you know, for offering uh, someone a pedestal to sit on. Right, I mean, exactly. That should just be the most basic component of what we would expect from any politician. Yeah, totally. Um, okay, so I'm going to switch. I want to switch gears now, um, but I want to tell everybody that I'm going to start this off with like a not politics per se but kind of political thing and then we're going to talk a little bit of the real housewives because mm. there was a break in and we're not going to focus on the show um you know in its entirety mainly on the break in because it lends itself to what I want to talk about and that's the crime and homelessness rising in Los Angeles and so we'll get to the you part You do know the only reason I come on your show is because we can talk housewives. <laughs> I, know. I know and I still I still have this dream like maybe one day but I'm just terrified of the blowback because I've got opinions that I know aren't popular. It's one thing to have an opinion in politics that's not popular. But boy, if you have a pop culture opinion that doesn't go along with someone else, the hate out there is hardcore mm. strong. I don't know mm-hmm. if I'm I don't know if I'm ready for that. Um, but yeah, so I just want to assure everybody we're not going to be just dissing about the housewives because this one housewife, um, her house was broken into, and that's what I kind of want to focus on. But before we get into the housewife situation, now I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. I, I want to go back, I guess, two years ago. A girlfriend of mine had said, oh, there's this really, you know, homelessness is really bad right now. And she said, you wouldn't recognize it. So I used to live in Glendale. I know you live in Los Angeles. And um, I don't know exactly where you live. But in in the Glendale area, I I mean, I always felt like it was a fairly safe area. I felt pretty safe. And um, my friend tells me, okay, there's, there's a lot of tent cities. So I don't know yeah. when I did this, but like last year, maybe earlier this year, I, I used to live in Silver Lake when I was a kid and I went yeah. to Thomas Starr Junior High. I can't remember what street that was on. Maybe it was on Fountain. But at, anyway, I was like in the hills and I would walk down to Sunset Boulevard and then I would walk uh, on Sunset Boulevard. I think it was to Fountain or whatever street that was. And um, I would make a right. And so I did this on Google Maps, right? I I started from where I lived and and just did the walk, and I was looking at it on Google Maps and with all the drone shots. So I went to go turn right. I guess it was on Fountain. And all of a sudden, just, you know, from the drone shots were all these tents. So I could see. Which is interesting, though, because Silver Lake, over the last 20 years, has become a very gentrified, Mm -hmm. expensive area. Yeah, I'm sure. It's a good area Mm -hmm. of of Los Angeles. Yeah. And, and just, you know, walking to school now, which I did at the time, you know, it was like an urban area. And I mean, I went to school when I went to Thomas Starr junior high, this was eighth and ninth grade there. The boys, a lot of the boys in my school 
were in a gang. They were like the kids in the gang and it was the stoners and they would feud with the cholos. And so I was aware of this. And in fact, one and most of the boys, I mean, I never felt when I was at school, I never really felt any real danger. Um, actually, that's not true. One girl did pull a knife on me, but it was a girl. And, and, and <laughs> but nothing happened. I don't know. I think a knife may cut as deep to, regardless of uh, <laughs> which gender's hand it's in. But go ahead. Bye. Right. It does. But it, but it, meaning that it was like she didn't, she, here she pulled a knife on me because she was very pretty. And I, I used to stare at her because I thought, wow, she's so pretty and she has such pretty skin and she has such pretty hair. And she got mad at me and she cornered me in the hallway and told me to stop staring at her. <laughs> and She pulled a knife on me and told me that if, you know, she was going to hurt me if I kept doing it. So she didn't do anything to me. And that did scare me. But outside of that one incident, I never felt when I was at that school that I was fearing for my life. There was one time where there was a fight and we knew about the fight and my girlfriends and I, you know, like in Los Angeles, especially in that area, you know, there's all these hills and there are stairs that take you from one, like the lower street to the next street on the stairs. And so we were on the stairs watching, it was like a cul-de-sac neighborhood. And so I believe it was the stoners and the cholos and and they were teenagers and they were fighting. And, um, I never liked to watch fights. My friends wanted to watch this particular fight. So we were on the stairs and this, you know, they're fighting and they're doing their thing and I'm not liking it. And then all of a sudden this boy brings out a board with nails coming through and I'm like, I got to go, but you know, whatever. So now though, and I experienced that as a teenager. And I mean, I, again, I didn't feel so unsafe in that neighborhood. I just, now though, I see that, you know, you could see, and it's not that it would be so unsafe. I don't know the safety factor, but anyway, so my friend is telling me the other day, he's like, you would not recognize it. And then he told me that Evidently, and I didn't know this, so maybe you can speak to this, but there was, you know, there's all these homeless people now and they're setting up shop. And I think like at six o'clock at night, they're allowed to do it in front of stores. And then this is what my friend's telling me. uh, The homeless people are setting up their camp. They're cooking. They're going to the bathroom. They're littering. And then they they leave at whatever time they have to leave because I think they're allowed to be there for a certain period of time. And then that the shop owners are left with the mess to clean up. And then I heard, too, that 50 houses burned down in in, um, Bel Air, which is extremely affluent, uh, because people were cooking outside. And I I hadn't heard about that on the news. Now, your experience in Los Angeles, how much has it changed? Well, I moved to L.A. and I joined the Department of Justice, the U.S. Attorney's Office in L.A. in 1999. So, you know, it's been, what, 23 years 23 years i guess um and it has changed i mean there was always a measure of homelessness that i would Mm -hmm. see when i would walk from the parking lot um to the courthouse to the federal courthouse but that was downtown Mm -hmm. downtown really didn't have you know it wasn't a livable area like it's become it's gentrified much more too Mm -hmm. um but you know where i lived which is outside of the downtown area i never saw tent encampments and i see that i I see that almost everywhere now there Mm. is no escaping it and it's strange because in me it elicits this horrible feeling of sadness Mm -hmm. and empathy that we live in a country that is as rich as the united states is broadly Mm -hmm. and 
people have to live on the street. Mm -hmm. Now, not not all of them have to live on the street. There are different shelters right, that yeah. have been offered to them, and some people um, it, yeah. choose not to take advantage of the shelters. But it's sad, mm -hmm. and it just tugs at my heartstrings. Yeah. At the same time, it's uncomfortable because mm -hmm. there is a higher incidence, as I understand it, in criminal activity. You know, in these tent communities. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it, it's uncomfortable because you don't, there's a lot of mental illness, mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that comes with homelessness. It's unclear to me whether or not the homelessness causes the mental illness or the mental illness causes people to become mm -hmm. homeless or if there's some combination of that. But, you know, there is an additional danger that people feel mm -hmm. and is probably true, um, in these homeless tent communities. And, um, you know, it's it's not just me. It's not just your friend. It's it's a feeling that a lot of people have in Los Angeles. Yeah, and and I mean, from I mean, I, I posted again. My friend and I were talking, and he was talking about the rents. And I know where where I am right now, just where I live, the rents have gone up by I think it's like twenty six percent. A friend of mine who lives in Florida, she was paying thirty two hundred dollars, and then they raised her rent to to four grand. Um, well, this is interesting about LA because many of the properties in Los Angeles come under rent control. So mm -hmm. if you are living in uh, a huge number of the property, the rentals in LA, apartments, um, you know, duplexes, mm -hmm. triplexes, uh, there is rent control. So they're not, the, the landlords are not able to raise rent mm -hmm. Um, typically more than 3% a year. And in fact, in the last two or two and a half years since COVID has been going mm -hmm. on, yeah. there's been a moratorium mm -hmm. on raising rent at all. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, you know, I don't understand how that would be making people homeless. I think I, I because a lot of people the lost their jobs. I think a lot of people lost their jobs and they just couldn't afford to. I mean, I saw a, I saw a news report and, you know, I used to when I lived there and I was like 13, 14 years old, my mom used to get what she did for a living was we just sold stuff on Venice Beach. So she had a little space that she paid for and we used to sell like leg warmers and, you know, beaded T-shirts and things like that. And it was it was really actually kind of fun. And so they were going up and down Venice Beach, and I don't know when this news report was, but it was fairly recent, and it was full-on tent city. You know, people were right. living on the sand. And so, I mean, it, it is very different, and and I can I can imagine that you would feel a certain amount. I mean, yes, of course there's going to be more cram, crime, but I think that a lot of people got kicked out because they couldn't, they lost their jobs because of COVID. Well, but here's the other interesting thing. California as a state had a moratorium on evicting people who couldn't pay oh, wow. their yeah. rent because of job loss due to COVID. So, uh, interesting. you know, th yeah. there's got to be something else that is going on because mm -hmm. I know, you know, I know a lot of people who own property who have not had their rent paid and they can't evict the mm -hmm. people who are there um, because of a state moratorium. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I will say I lived in, I know that in Glendale, there was no rent control. So it just depends. You know, I mean, I, I was does. living in fear. Um, the place that I was living, I was paying nine twenty five, 
and I got a really good deal. I mean, it was a big apartment. It was a one bedroom. There was a swimming pool, beautiful views, very nice up. It was Northern Glendale near La Cunada. It was just absolutely gorgeous. And they were trying to sell the building and I was terrified because I thought they were going to, they could easily gotten 1400 and they could have spiked it that high because we didn't have rent control. So there are parts in Los Angeles, yes, proper specifically that has rent control, but the outskirts and, you know, Northridge, Burbank, places like that, Pasadena, I think a lot of those places don't have it. So, um, but I, I also don't know if the homelessness is the same problem in those places right. that it is in Los Angeles. I will tell you, my brother had a rent control department in West Hollywood, and I think he began paying, you know, 800 a month. And, you know, 25 years later, he was paying uh, like a thousand. Wow. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's the type of apartment that would have rented. And when he left, I think they rented it for three times that amount, yeah. uh, you know, a one bedroom apartment. So, you know, a lot of people come under the rent control. Yeah, they do. So I have to believe that there's something else. What is going uh, on? Yeah, that's going on. Uh, so now this brings me to the I'm going to go back to my friend who's a liberal. And this is the point I want to make. So he's telling me, all right, well, there is the Caruso dude, Rick Caruso, I think his name is. And he's the one he's running for uh, mayor. Karen Bass is the Democrat running for mayor, and I believe Caruso used to be a Republican. He's now saying he's a Democrat, and he's running on the idea that they're going to clean up homelessness and clean up crime. And I think he's like the guy who owns and started the Grove and maybe other another place like the Grove. He is. Yeah. He is, yeah. Now, and I said to my friend, I was like, okay, well, but Republicans always say, you know, they talk a good game. But what they're probably going to do is criminalize homelessness or they're going to come around and take all the things, the tents and the, the things that people have acquired so that they can't live on the street. And Well, you know, just as a legal perspective, and I haven't looked this up lately, but I remember reading years ago uh, that there was, I believe, a court of appeals decision in, in California that indicated that there is some right that people have to live on public property and, and I don't know the the details the ins and outs of it I don't mm -hmm. know that type of granular detail but the the California courts have said that people have some type of a right to uh, camp out on public sidewalks etc hmm. and I think that's been one of the problems you know that has existed in an effort to try and you know move out these tent communities and so I'm not sure exactly how Caruso is going to deal with that yeah, assuming that, exactly. that 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 law is still um, you know, it's still valid. Yeah. And that's what I was asking my friend. I'm like, well then, you know, I said, what's his plan? Yeah. He's, you can, everybody can say, I'm going to get rid of homelessness, but what are you going to do about it? Are you just going to round right. them up and arrest them? Are you going to criminalize it? Are you going to take all their stuff? What is the plan here? And Karen Bass too. I, I know Karen Bass was on Joy Reid and she was basically saying she was getting shit from Democrats because she was talking about the fact that, yeah, there's crime that needs to be paid attention to and there's a homeless problem which nobody should be giving her shit about that as long you know and, and the other thing that I heard again this is all from my friend that you know there are certain communities that are uh, available like you said certain homeless shelters and some of them are choosing not to stay in them because they'd rather go live at the beach they'd rather go do it on their own and not have to deal with whatever you deal with in a homeless shelter or homeless places to live and I know there's you know there's a couple of people I think uh I think it was Arnold Schwarzenegger purchased maybe 25, 30 houses, like teeny tiny little houses that you get a shower, air conditioning, and a place to mm -hmm. sleep, uh, which is great. But, you know, 30 yeah. and you have thousands and thousands of homeless people. You, this is something that we would need a lot more of these kinds of things. 
but I don't know what the answer is. But what I can say is, you know, as a, you know, my friend is a homeowner and he was explaining about, you know, different scenarios that were happening right in front of his home. And so it's like, you don't want to sound cold hearted, but you also want to protect your home and you want to feel safe at your home and you don't want people, you know, taking a shit on your sidewalk outside. There there is that tension there. I mean, and and I don't know what the answer is, but I also don't think that people should be condemned or criticized for not wanting, you know, the area in front of their house to become, you know, set up as a tent city where people are you know, lighting fires to cook and they're defecating yeah. on the sidewalk and, you know, crime has increased and there's mm-hmm. a lot of, um, you know, there are a lot of problems that come with that. Yeah. I, it's not right to criticize people for that. No, it isn't. Uh, and that happens a lot. You're, you know, you're not, you, you know, you're not showing your liberal badge if right. you uh, say those types of things, but, you know. But I'd like to see the liberals... I'd like to see that liberal deal with it, though. You know, if it's their house, how are they? Because that's what I thought to myself. I just thought, you know, well, there's that part of me, the bleeding heart that it's like, well, we want tolerance and we don't we don't want to criminalize. We don't want to take anything away from these people because they're already down on their luck and they're already having such a hard time. But on the other hand, when it's your house and people are, you know, I mean, evidently the, the 50 houses that burned down in Bel Air were because of cooking incidents. And, you know, and that makes me worried because how many people then are going to be living in the brush and with California that's already on fire all the time, you know, more people out in the wilderness not being responsible or whatever it is. And there's even more fires. And so it's like, yeah, you don't want to punish these people. It's not about punishing them, but there needs to be some kind of plan. So a humane plan that makes people feel like they're, you know, they have some dignity um, I don't know what that answer is. And that's what worries me because it's like the, the, the liberals who are living in Los Angeles, some of them are like, well, I'm going to take a look at Caruso because we've had a, we, we've had a, um, mayor, a Democratic mayor in now and, and this is all getting worse. And so the idea here is Democrats aren't fixing the problem. So we're going to bring in basically a Republican, and it's like, oh no! It's but it's not just homelessness where yeah. that's where that's happening. The district attorney in um, San Francisco, who obviously who was a Democrat, but not just a Democrat, a very progressive Democrat, who was essentially in many ways a prosecutor who didn't want to prosecute, um, was recalled hmm. uh, just last week. I think it was in, in Tuesday's. Uh, you know, in Tuesday's mm-hmm. voting was recalled because people are dissatisfied with the fact that their that their daily, um, you know, that their daily comfort in right. living has yeah. been so affected by crime out of control in San Francisco that they're, you know, that they wanted him out. They yeah. thought he was great at the time, you know, with all these very liberal panacea policies mm-hmm. about how we could be kinder in law enforcement. And that doesn't work. You know, I have never, I, listen, I am a liberal, I'm a Democrat, but I was a prosecutor for 28 years, um, and I am not tolerant of crime. I mean, Mm -hmm. I know how horrible crime can be when you are a victim. I mean, I looked into the faces of people Mm -hmm. who were victimized by crimes day in and day out, and it is a horrible way of living. And there is this strange... Um, you know, balance that I always have to do because I support Democrats generally across the board, 
but I often don't support this notion that you know we're not going to we're not going to incarcerate people if they commit crimes, yeah. and we're not going to take them off the street and stop them from committing new crimes because that's not a nice thing to do. Um, it's a problem, yeah. you know. It, it, it's a real struggle, you know, to walk that tightrope, uh, you know, when you have competing interests in that way. Right. Yeah, it's really sad. It's it. This is a this is definitely one issue where it would be so great if liberals and Democrat or I'm sorry, uh, Democrats and Republicans could come together, and and yeah. and find a solution like from com, from a compassionate point of view. You know, I mean, it's like something needs to be done. Nobody wants their home and and the streets that they're comfortable walking down to you know, to feel unsafe. And it is uncomfortable because then now if you've got a little bit of money and you can pay your bills and then you see people who are living on the street, it's an awful feeling. It's just an awful feeling because you can't go, you might be able to go help one or two of these people. You might be able to give them some food or some money, but you can't fix the entire problem yourself. And so that, you know, it would be great. And be careful. Let me tell you this. I had gotten in a habit, um, you know, in LA of, not eating all of my food when I go out for dinner and, you know, taking a carry-out bag. And, mm-hmm. and because there's so much homelessness, I would offer it to people on the street. And sometimes they were perfectly lovely and, mm-hmm. you know, thanked me. Mm-hmm. But other times they became really nasty mm-hmm. and aggressive for no other reason than I said, you know, would you like something? I, I just had dinner and I have some left. So, you know, it's, again, it's it's tough to strike that balance. Yeah. It's it's very tough. And then so this brings us to the Real Housewives because I do not like Dorit, but um, <laughs> I do watch the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, and it is one of my not so guilty pleasures. But I watched the episode. Now I've I was you know I was watching because I like the OC, and then I also like New Jersey. So I finished those up. Now I've got a pile of new ones to watch for Beverly Hills. And the first, I believe it was the first one of the season was, was called Breakin'. Yeah. yeah. And they show, um, her name is, I don't know her last name, but it's Dorit and she's married to PJ. And PJ was in England. <clears throat> Dorit was at home. <clears throat> excuse me, Kemsley, alone. Dorit Kemsley. Kemsley. So yeah. she was alone with her two little children. And she said that that night, normally when her husband isn't home, she lets her kids sleep in her bed. But for whatever reason, she put at least one of the they were she was sleeping alone and her kids were in their room and she goes to bed and then she hears the door open and she assumes it's the kids but it's a, it's a burglary but the worst part was they because sh- it's a you know they have a lot of money and they've got a security system and they've got cameras and they show these guys coming in it's a very private house in Encino and they go up to the sliding glass door and they got this high tech thing that they just put on the window and it shatters the window and yeah. they go in and they put a gun to her head and they basically, they take, uh, they, I, I, th- I think they took her comforter and they took everything. They got a lot of purses and stuff. But here, I just have to say this because before you start telling me anything, PJ, when, when he came back and he, he, you know, they all went to the friend's house for dinner and they were all talking. And so he's talking with Lisa Renna and he says, she says like, well, didn't they get your watches? He's like, oh, well, you know, the most expensive watch I had was 60000 And Lisa Renna goes, oh, that's nothing. <laughs> it's just yeah, like, yeah. oh, that's just nothing—a sixty thousand dollar watch. <laughs> that was cringeworthy. That I mean, was cringeworthy. What was also cringeworthy in a different way. Was, I, I mean, you know, the horror of watching someone. I think it was multiple guys yes. break into 
Dorit's property and then threaten her with a gun to her head mm-hmm. and her, you know, basically begging for her life mm-hmm. and her children's lives, you know, take whatever you want, um, but just, but don't hurt me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was, it was it's tough horrible. to watch. Yeah, and here I am staying at my mom's house all by myself. My mom was out of town and I go to bed that night and I'm just like, oh my God. And I had to calm myself down because I just kept visualizing that break in. And granted, not, I mean, the the place where my mother lives is not Encino, California. And I imagine that the, the people who are breaking into these multi-million dollar homes you know they're they're going for the big money and they've got high tech equipment i'm going to guess that you know people who live in quieter areas the break-ins are more about an open window that somebody sees and you know i told myself that so i could go to sleep and made sure every door and window was locked in the house but it was terrifying and you know i mean do you think that as far as this this break-in that dorit these guys were clearly you know, used to going into wealthy neighborhoods and, and, and stealing. But do you think it lends itself to, like, there's more crime in L.A. overall, or do you think this is just something that was always going on? And why didn't they have, like, some security system that made lots of noise or, you know, did something to scare them away? Yeah, you know, I don't know why why when the window broke, uh, it didn't trigger an alarm. Yes, I yeah. Mean, I, I am, I'm not an expert on you know, on that uh, type of alarm system at all. Although I would, I, I'm confident that there are systems in which you break the window yeah. and the alarm goes off right. and that sends people running. Um, but as far as crime in LA goes, I think crime in LA has always been there. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's different though when you see it happen and when you hear what a victim has to say mm-hmm. about the horrors that she felt. And, I have to tell you, there was a point when I was listening to her in tears describe Mm -hmm. the gun to her head and begging for her life when I almost turned it off because I have seen all of that face to face with people who were victims of crime when I was a prosecutor. And it rips you up emotionally. Mm -hmm. It, It has damaged me for life because I know that the things that people talk about and see on TV and that you read in the newspapers can actually happen. They're not theoretical. They happen and they can destroy people's lives, Mm -hmm. you know, not just for the time that it's happening and not just for the loss, you know, that they suffer by their valuables being taken, but, you know, psychologically Mm -hmm. it can make you a completely different person. And I have tremendous empathy for people Mm -hmm. who are victims of crimes. And so I often struggle when I see, you know, things like progressive prosecutors who decide that they don't want to prosecute a lot of things um, because I know that physically incarcerating someone, removing them from the opportunity to do it again works. Mm -hmm. And, And that's not to say that I don't think that nonviolent, you know, um, crimes that are not as significant, we shouldn't, we shouldn't try and find out other ways if we can find that they're effective. But, you know, this whole notion of, you know, a sanitized version of how we can treat crime by not incarcerating people is not something I buy into at all. No. And, you know, I mean, I saw, there was this fascinating news story, maybe 60 Minutes, and I, it might've been a German prison. I can't remember. 
it was a, it was a prison abroad. And they were trying this thing, and, and the idea was so great that, I don't know, there were a couple of prisons that tried it here. And, and basically what it was, it was for the criminals that, you know, they weren't the murderers and the rapists, and they were just the maybe petty crimes or, or stuff that wasn't terrible. They made stupid decisions once in their lives, and I guess they had the opportunity to... Uh, you know, go into some study program, and even one of one guy played basketball, and he got a mentor. He got like a famous basketball player to kind of mentor him and help him because he was really good at it, and he had done one stupid thing when he was young, and you know, th- what maybe he stole something, and so it's kind. It is a rehabilitation. I wish we could have. I mean, there are certain people that have to be taken off the streets if you're going to murder, if you're going to rape, if you're going to hurt children. Yeah, you need to be taken off. But, but it's like once you go into jail, uh, your punishment is going to jail. But then there's all new punishments. Because, like, for instance, I, you know, thoroughly enjoyed watching Orange is the New Black. And, you know, I mean, the, the guards that would, you know, rape the, the women, they've already been punished. And the system basically turns their head a lot of the time when you know, there's, there's crime within the prison. And so I wish there was a way that we could figure out a better way to deal with criminals. I mean, I think these people do, these people who are hurting others and stealing from others, they need to be removed. And they need to be removed, but at the same time, if there was a way we could do it with some compassion and not just have these these horrible prisons that I, I mean, I can't even, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. It well, just, listen. In theory, all of that sounds. Great. I know it does. And, I know. And and if it can, if it actually worked, uh, you know, if there was some magic potion or a wand that you could, you know, wave over the head of someone who committed a nonviolent crime, you know, for the first time, mm-hmm. I'd be with you on that. I don't. I don't know that it works that way. And I've read different studies. You know that talk about uh, you know how it's better not to imprison these people, how they get hardened in prison. But I also know that if they're in prison, they're not going to be committing a crime. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I, I often find flaws in the study um, in the study description when I read them. But mm. yes, if, if you know if you can accomplish that, I'm there for it. Mm-hmm. But short of that, I think it is exceedingly important for people to feel reasonably safe Mm -hmm. in their lives because if you're not safe i mean listen you know uh, i don't want to be flippant and use you know dorit kimsley a multimillionaire, on the real housewives as an example but you know for all of the money and wealth and comfort that she has in her life she's never going to feel safe again it is always going to haunt her Mm -hmm. it's going to affect the relationship she has with her husband and her children and frankly it's going to affect the way she looks at the world i know this because i have i have worked with crime victims for decades and it is it is really awful and if Mm. you cannot feel safe nothing else matters no that's you're absolutely right it's a huge big deal and safety for me is always it's always been a big deal so um yeah and i can i mean she she talked about in the show you know she grew up with a father who uh fought in sarajevo and he you know there was a story that she said that there's a big bumblebee flying around or a big bee and she panicked and and she was a little girl and he told her just stay calm it's not going to hurt you if you're calm and then i think the bee landed and he picked the bee up with his fingers by the wings and she said after i saw him do that i've never been afraid of bees again and i learned you know that it's just better to be calm in a situation and so she's clearly she is not letting this um 
debilitate her, but I agree with you in that the rest of her life, this is going to be haunting her. And I don't, I mean, it, it, it made me feel unsafe watching it. I can't imagine yeah. living it and, and, and having my children like worrying about, are they going to kill me? Are they going to kill my children? I can't even imagine that. That's so awful. So yeah, I, I do agree with you. And uh, I, yeah, go ahead. I want to make one, one side note point that sort of riled me up a little bit. Um, in one in in the episode after uh, the break-in, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was PJ. Her husband said, "Hey, I think that he said, and I'm going back to my memory. I think he said, hey, we got a call from George. Oh, George gets called the DA in Los Angeles. You know, saying, you know, we're we're going to find these people. If there's anything you can do, let us know. And all of that was lovely, but it made me a bit unhappy that you know." that someone who had their belongings stolen in a horrific incident in which a gun was held to her head, don't get me wrong, I'm not downplaying or diminishing what happened, but, you know, got a call from, a personal call from the DA, you know, offering support. But there are people who, you know, who have been shot at. There are people who have been murdered and the family members don't get those types of calls from the district attorney. And I have to tell you, that bugged me. It bugged me because, too. Because yeah, it's just you know money. It's money. It's money and probably donor support mm-hmm. and political support, and I didn't like it. I didn't either. It really pissed me off. And I mean, I those two make me sick. You know, aside from the break, and I would never wish that on her. And I hope you know. I hope that her her kids don't know about it. Thankfully. I, you know that all the all that aside those two make me so sick her and her fake accent and I don't believe for a minute that they have this genuine love for I mean I know they care about each other and I know they have kids and that's clear but you know the the women on that show the women on these shows uh, you know who marry wealthy people I, whatever they all make me sick and she's so pretentious it she's just so disgusting and pretentious and yet to me. you are i still watch it to the television oh i totally yeah, watch I, I, it i'm not i'm not commenting you know some of the housewives i really like some right of them exactly I don't like some of them you know i like and don't like at the same time exactly some yes of them, some of them i hate <laughs> and i love to hate exactly um, you know it, it's a distraction yeah. you know there's probably in the dsm at some point there's probably going to be some you know neurological disease that they can attribute to why we watch the Real Housewives. Well, you know, I mean, I've talked about this before, and it's so funny because a lot more men who have been on my show have admitted to watching it um, than I would have expected. But I think, you know, I mean, there's the obvious stuff where it's like a soap opera and you get pulled in. And then there's also the idea, to me, it's like it is just watching human psychology. And I, I, I get that they have I mean, it's called reality and it's not 100% reality. I, you know, I think in some case, like that was reality. That wasn't a staged event that they were robbed. Right, um, right. And their reactions were legitimate. I think sometimes they have parties and they're told, hey, when, when there's a big fight, we get ratings. So, yeah, they know to have these big fights and, and all of that. But there is a certain amount of truth that comes out and reality that does come out. And to me, that's kind of fascinating to watch reactions and and... I don't know, just general interactions with people, especially wealthy people who are so incredibly privileged. And uh, I agree. And, and I don't know if I told you this, but in my last trial for the Justice Department, in my closing argument, the last appearance that I made in court, um, when I was talking to the jury, I mentioned the Real Housewives <laughs> of Beverly Hills. I used it as an example 
I had a, you know, I had this explanation about circumstantial evidence, mm -hmm. but I used it as an example to explain how circumstantial evidence can lead you to convict mm -hmm. uh, because you can find, you can put pieces of things together and circumstantial evidence can make you come up with guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Mm -hmm. And when I said to the jurors, listen, I I've been racking my brain how I'm gonna explain this type of circumstantial evidence, legal theory to you, and the, and the thing that I could come up with requires me to make a personally embarrassing <laughs> admission. You know, like the jurors who had been there for weeks like snapped to attention. <laughs> You know, when I, when I said, uh, you know, so much of my life in, in court is dealing with murder and rape mm -hmm. and robbery. And so in my personal life, I go the other way. And anything that contain any TV show that contains the phrase, the real housewives of, <laughs> I will watch. Bam. The jurors were all over it. They all knew exactly what I was talking about. They convicted the defendant wow. in a really difficult case in 38 minutes. Wow. And they and they came out afterwards and they're like, that was the perfect example. That was the perfect example. <laughs> now, mind you, weeks later, when I saw the trial judge, she pulled me aside and said, I, I, I thought you were having a breakdown. I had no idea <laughs> where the hell you were going when the words, the real housewives came out of your lips in a federal prosecution for international drug conspiracy trafficking. But sure enough, wow. by the time you were done, it worked. Wow. So if the Real Housewives have given me nothing right. more than this, they, they gave me the ability to convince a jury of what circumstantial evidence is and how they can use it to convict someone. Yeah, and, you, you know, I mean, it's funny because, there's of course, there's going to be people who would criticize both of us for watching that show. My I'm mother, <laughs> My I'm, mother doesn't like myself. it. <laughs> my boyfriend doesn't like it. I mean, he doesn't criticize me for it. Neither one of them do. But my mom would be like, I don't know why you watch that. And it's like, I totally get why somebody doesn't want to watch it. But there is, you know, I mean, I've always liked, I used to like Days of Our Lives. And then I was on Days of Our Lives. And I always enjoy a good soap opera. And yeah. that, first and foremost, they are soap opera. That is like a soap opera. It's an ongoing relationship. And yes, it's it's not scripted. But at the same time, we know there's a certain amount of they know what they're doing and they're doing it for the camera. But I don't care because I, it, it's it's this kind of I mean, we loved watching back in the 80s. The um, what was that guy that the million the Robin Leach housewives oh, yeah. of not the housewives, the, the lives Lifestyles of the rich and, of lives the of the rich, rich and famous. famous. So we always like to watch what the rich and famous are doing the kinds of homes they live in, you know, everybody takes it their own way. I don't watch with jealousy at all. In fact, what I do when I watch is I usually just sit and think, wow, if I had that kind of money, I would behave differently. But, you know, they behave the way they want to behave. And some of these people were born into money and have had money their whole life and their outlook is completely different than mine. And that's precisely what I like to see. Something that's, I'm not, I don't know anything about. I like to just watch how people who live so differently how they go about things and you've convinced me if i were not a fan i would be <laughs> well and i you know like i said i know people think it's dumb and it is dumb but who gives a shit because another it's like you said your life is all about um you know murdering and rape and stuff and so you get away from that for me it's politics and it's just as bad it's like fucking horrible all the time and so i like yeah. to have these little you know little things where i'm just 
my boyfriend and I love to watch Sex in the City, and we watch mm-hmm. it over and over again. And each time we watch it, we get more and more critical of Carrie. But it's like we still love the show, and it's just so much fun. So I you love know. the show too. I, I'm with you on that. One too. <laughs> and do you do you watch The Real Housewives of New Jersey? I I do intermittently. I watched religiously when it first began, and then it just became too mean for me there <laughs> yeah, was just too mean. much nastiness and meanness so you know like everything there's a, a point of tolerance and then they get past it like atlanta i used to watch religiously and then there was a mean quality hmm. uh you know that that came on it yeah and it made me stop watching then i went back for a while and then i stopped for a while so i i bump into those shows yeah. every now and then <laughs> i just started watching the dubai one have you started that? i have not is it good it's it's well i've only seen two episodes and caroline stansbury was in ladies of london which i loved so she's now living in dubai so she's one of the housewives but it strikes me that as the franchise goes on that the women learn you know what sells Mm -hmm. what's sort of expected Mm -hmm. of them and so they become listen they're already caricatures of normal people but when they try and exaggerate even more it, it becomes too put on for me. Right. I'm feeling a bit of that in the Dubai uh, Interesting. two episodes that I've seen. Well, the, and I brought up New Jersey because Teresa Judice's fiance, new boyfriend fiance. Uh, Louie. Louie. He loves Sex in the City. So I just thought that was kind of funny, too. I mean, he looks, he, he's, I don't want to say anything, but I, I would get in so much fucking trouble if I were to give my opinion on those New Jersey women, I can only imagine. I can only, well, then you know. the other thing is I have trouble when I find out that the Trump supporters, like, you know, I, know. I, I used to love the early um, Real Housewives of New York. And then, um, you know, then Trump got in power. Yeah. And just, I don't know, a month or two ago, there was a picture of Ramona, yeah. Ramona Singer, who's one of the housewives in, in New York, dancing at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, and I just, I, yeah. I, I just couldn't stomach it. I, I so know. I'm not sure. I can't watch New York anymore. Back. Yeah, I'm I can't watch. watch New York. And you know, on OC, they're also Trump people. They, they didn't really. Some of them kind of talked about it a little bit, but they didn't get into it too much. But you already know who the Trump supporters are. So, um, but you know, I mean, I, I watch it. You know, for that reason too. Just again, it's, it's people that I'm not. They're different than I am, and they think differently. And yeah, it can be disgusting, and they, they can be disgusting in the way that they're so self-centered and and you know privileged and entitled and all of that but you know it's it's fascinating to me it's fascinating to watch people and how money especially money and camera time fame can what it does to them it's just i find it fascinating and i'm not saying everybody has to it's just one of the things that i enjoy it keeps me going you know it's one i always look forward because it's sunday night when i watch it i just watch at like at eight o'clock, I usually watch whatever housewife shows is, is on that you know on demand, and that's what I do. That's my fun, one of them, my things. But I hate that I love. Yes, them. so do I. <laughs> but you know, I figure both of us were we're doing other stuff, and hopefully, what we're doing in some way is inspiring and positive. So it's kind of like that balance. You know, you need a little bit of the Cheetos with the salad. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, that's, that's that's a good analogy. I'll go with that because I like Cheetos and I eat salad. Well, it was just lovely once again talking to you, and you were the perfect person to have on today, especially for your uh, takes on this. And I mean, I hope, I hope in a way that you're wrong, but I know that you're right. 
when you're talking about Merrick Garland and what he's going to choose to do. And so I don't know. I don't know. I guess we're just going to have to stay tuned and see what's going to happen. But listen, I, I, I never said in my column that he won't. I know you Trump. didn't. I know you didn't. And, and he may. What I said was, I think it's going to be virtually impossible yeah. to get a conviction yeah. on Trump. And that's going to affect, you know, the analysis that right. he goes through as to whether or not he indicts him. And frankly, every every prosecutor who's competent every federal prosecutor who's competent knows that and you know mm-hmm. it's it's surprising to me that no one else was really willing to say that out loud because yeah. it's true well we got to say that stuff out loud cuz sometimes the uncomfortable stuff you know we got to face it and we don't we're not really good at that so uh, you know hey you're trying to make everyone face the uncomfortable truth of the situation so i applaud you for that um, before i let you, you go tell everybody where to find you uh, so you can find me on Twitter at Michael J. Stern, the number one, uh, M-I-C-H-E-A-E-L-J-S-T-E-R-N, the number one. And that's basically where I spend way too, you know, Twitter is sort of the <laughs> online equivalent of the Real Housewives. Totally. I know, it, it is not good for me. I spend I too much time there. We all I do. look at these crazy memes and I tweet them. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes I have intellectual conversations which are really stimulating yeah. and enjoyable. And sometimes I have trash conversations <laughs> that are just enjoyable. <laughs> But too much time. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, I should be writing. Yeah. I, I should be writing more. And I, you know, I'm spending too much time on Twitter. I need to try and stop that. Yeah, I think we're all, a lot of us are guilty of that. But Twitter's where the action is. And the, the thing is, is it's on your phone, too. So if you've set your phone up to get alerts, which I have alerts, and it's like, oh, I got to check that. Oh, I got to check that. And that's the whole point no, no, no. of it. <laughs> I have not set up my phone for that. But in between sets, if I'm at the gym, mm-hmm. I've got oh, nothing right. to do. I mean, I'm not going to start reading a substantive article. Yeah. I've got 30 seconds. What can I do in 30 <laughs> seconds? I can respond to a tweet. I can read a tweet. I, I do can the look same. At it. It's just... It, it's all bad. It's, I you know. know. just a, a bad addiction. I used to leave my – I don't do it anymore, but I was – it was getting so bad for me that when I was working out – because I work at, at home. But I leave, I'd leave the phone in the other room because it was like I would get caught in a fight. And then yeah. I'd be more concerned about freaking commenting than working out. And it's like, no, I'm leaving. I have to leave the phone. Now I bring the phone back out again. But if I start getting too pulled in – I'm, I, I have to not do it because it's like just come on it's well, Twitter then a it'll lot still times, be there if you're working out you're dictating your response and then you go back and look at it later <laughs> and you're just hard. horrified of what you wrote <laughs> oh my god it's so true and speaking of Twitter you can find me at author Kimberly K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y don't forget the extra E at the end and then of course you know my books are on Amazon and uh, just once again thank you for being on the show. I absolutely adore you and I love talking to you. So, oh, it's always my pleasure. <laughs> Thanks. Well, you take care. Bye bye.